National Fire Radio. National Fire Radio presents. I wish my head could forget what my eyes have seen. Ten years ago, the groundbreaking firefighting movie burned took audiences closer than they'd ever been. Into the fires and into the lives of the men who fight them. Ten years in the making, the long-awaited follow-up is finally here. The workload has increased and manpower has decreased. Burn X explores stories and characters you've never seen before and continues the journey for many of the Detroit firefighters you met in the first film. Fire class, 2019. Yes, Order your two-disc ultimate edition of Burn X on DVD and Blu-ray at burnstore.com or get it for streaming and download on iTunes, Apple TV, Amazon, Google Play, and Voodoo. What is a man's worth that doesn't make the world a better place? Taylor's Tins, one of the best there is. A good friend of ours and supporter of National Fire Radio. He comes up first in a lineup of sponsors because he means that much to me. Taylor's been with us from day one. I hit him up on day one and said, brother, I love your shield. I love what it represents. I'd like to give them out to all of our podcast guests. And from day one, almost five years ago, we've been issuing Taylor's Tins to all of our guests as a keepsake and recognition for their willingness to share some time and their story with us in our community at National Fire Radio. These aluminum helmet fronts, they change the market. They're revolutionary in what they do. Even if you're a traditionalist with the leather shield, the aluminum shield offers so much when it comes to durability, cleanliness, decon, they can do it all with the aluminum shield. Their customer service, let's talk about that for a minute, where things usually take several weeks now to get your hands on them from the from conception to manufacturing process and out the door and onto your helmet. Taylor can turn around orders within 48 hours, whether it's a 500-piece shield order for your department or a one-off customized shield. Taylor's doing them, and he's doing them within 48 hours, and they're getting out the door. It's not just helmet shields. Nope, there's more. They got locker tags, carbon monoxide meter, you know, data sheets. They have pump data sheets, pump tags, locker tags, street signs, banquet gifts. You name it, the list goes on and on. Check them out at taylorstins.com. That's where they conduct business. You can hit them up on the chat right there. They walk you through the process of designing your custom Taylor's Tin from the website. So go to taylorstins.com, check them out. They represent the very best of what the American Fire Service is all about, and I'm proud to have them as a sponsor of the National Fire Radio platform. And in the words of Taylor and his crew, stop burning up leather. Hey, everybody. Jeremy, National Fire Radio, back on the podcast platform this morning. Somebody that has made a great influence in my life early on in the fire service. We're going to get into that one second. A deputy fire chief out of Loveland, Sims, Ohio, Chief Billy Goldfeder. Chief, good morning. Thank you for joining me, sir. Good morning. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is fun. I've been wanting to catch up with you for quite a while. Um, and, and it's because early on in my career, you were one of the first social media pages that influenced the American Fire Service in my world. And I think it's across the board, but Firefighter Close Calls and The Secret List, I got that email every single day, and I read it every single day. It was in a war, It was in a time, right? It was the late 90s, I think 1998, right? And it was, uh, yeah, right. And it was in a time where your, your open rates on emails were like 90 to 100%. Everybody read their email at the time, right? <laughs> and, and, and you were incredibly smart 
to be able to put a it, it was changing the way and delivering the message to the fire service. And I'd love to know. I mean, I kind of know why, but I'd love to hear it from you when you when you coined the phrase the home of the secret list. Why is it the secret list? So um, I discovered the Internet. Uh, I guess it had to have been 96, maybe. Uh, personally, I'd heard people having computers. I heard what AOL was. And uh, and my wife and Terry said, let's get a computer. So we got a computer. And, and, and you know, as a kid, the most worn out part of my encyclopedia was <laughs> firefighter, fire trucks. And it was old American LaFrance. I could picture it like, and that's what I read over and over and yeah. over and over. Well, now the Internet opened a whole new world to me. So uh, I would start searching for fires and rescues. And, and what I would do is I'd share those. And I've... Um, I've always been annoyed, uh, even as a young volunteer and a young career firefighter, of people who wouldn't, like, information is power. Yeah. And it always annoyed me that there was little secret groups that would talk about this but wouldn't share that. Or the chiefs knew something, weren't going to share it with the troops. And I'm the polar opposite of that, almost to a fault. So I started emailing different friends on AOL and, and, and the list grew as people would say, hey, can you add this guy? Can you add that one? And that, that's really how it happened. It was very organic. Yeah. And so we did that. And, 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 and one day I discovered that if you put parentheses around the emails on AOL that you were sending it to, it would come out as BCC blind carbon copy yeah so i started doing that and and someone said you know who's on your list i saw it disappear i said it's a secret i mean that that's <laughs> what it was i love that and so then within i don't know a couple more emailings and and we put one out and i put in parentheses it said you know uh, you know, firefighter injured will be okay. And then the parentheses, the secret list. And that's where it started. There was no, there was no committee. There was no consultants used. Yeah. We just, everything we've done has been homemade and, uh, we started the secret list and over time, uh, more and more people added to it at, at, at that time I had a, a friend who actually worked for AOL. So he was able to set, set my account up where I could add as many names as I wanted to this, whereas the regular AOL would limit you to like to a hundred emails. Yeah. You had the inside scoop, man. I like that. So, so yeah, so we grew and grew and grew. Uh, and, uh, it, it sort of became a, a machine. So uh, with that, I, st I was working for a group called command school. Uh, it was myself, uh, Bruno, Don Abbott, Kurt, uh, Verone, uh, Dennis Rubin, um, many others, yeah. and, and and command school was run by by a chief in Pennsylvania named Glenn Usden, who runs a company called Command Fire Apparatus, and he's a used apparatus broker. But Glenn and I were friends for years and years when we grew up in Long Island, and he asked me to join this troop that about four or five times a year would travel around the country, and and, and we would do seminars, and he'd get five six hundred people. Uh, that, that's kind of when that was in the infancy of, of you know, troops, come, people coming to your town and doing training and, sure. and all that stuff. So uh, one of the key folks who I had emailed back and forth with for many years was Gordon Graham. Uh, and Gordon said to me, and, and, and for those who are not aware, Gordon is my co-partner at uh, Firefighter Close Calls. Uh, me and, and about a dozen guys do all the work and Gordon writes the checks. 
and Gordon's retired commander of the California Air Patrol and an attorney. And he, if you've never attended a Gordon Graham class, if you ever see it, you need to go. Trust me. Okay. And if you don't like it, I'll give you your money back. Right. <laughs> so he's amazing. So Gordon said, why don't you have a website? Well, at the time I was going through divorce yeah, and I did not have a lot of money at all. And I barely had time. He said, well, when you find the time, I'll provide the funds. And that's how firefighter close calls got started about six wow. months later. And now we're, we're, I've got about, uh, about 12, uh, folks, guys and gals who volunteer their time to keep the site up and running to uh, post stuff when people submit stuff. Uh, I write every secret list with the rare exception of, of in the past year where I was in the hospital for, for a while and stuff and dealing with cancer. We'll talk about that yeah. later, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, so uh, that's it. And, and we're very proud. We take no advertising because we can. Um, we've been offered to be bought many times, I'm sure, uh, and no interest. Uh, and, um, that's the story. And, and I guess we only send a secret list when there's a need to, and I, I really believe in that. We don't do it every Monday at 8 AM. We don't do it every day at 4 PM. We do it when something's happened. Uh, and, and, and we try very, very hard and I'm, I'm a lucky guy. I've got a pretty big Rolodex. So if something happens somewhere, odds are, I know somebody either there or somebody who knows somebody. So we right. try to get the facts and, and we're real proud that rarely, I mean, maybe three times since we started this in 98, have we ever had to say, Hey, we're sorry. We got the facts wrong. So we take a lot of pride in that, especially today in 2022, where there's just so much crap out there and, and you don't even know what to believe. And I don't just mean that the fire side of the social media, but the whole world, social media, it's all. Yeah. Fueled by misinformation. It, it really, that's exactly the term I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and I, I yeah. totally get that because I see it every day in my world too, right? And, you know, outside of the real world that we all know there's a lot of inflated news and, and people are, yes. are quick to report. I will say this, though, with, with the accuracy that you, you guys portray on Firefighter Close Calls, it's unbelievable how quick you get the inside store. I mean, you guys are literally posting within minutes to hours after the event happens. I, I have to think that you're one of the first reporting pages when it comes to tragedy or, or uh, despair in our job. So there's a little motivation behind that. One is to get the facts out as quick as possible. And two is to, and that's sort of the same response, is to make sure the other crap doesn't yeah. get out there. And, and sometimes we work it, sometimes we don't. And, and you know, we can't help it. But uh, like uh, last week, uh, we had a firefighter killed north of us in the Cleveland, horrible loss there. Uh, and it was coming out. But, you know, I reached out to the local there and say, hey, you know, this is what we're hearing. And they wrote back. And, you know, that, that's kind of what we do is, is just make sure that we're getting the facts out. But the idea is, one, to make sure that we get it out quickly so it's factual, which will sort of dampen the rumors. But also, we're all about awareness. I mean, that's why we do this. There's no other motivation. Yeah. Um, so maybe some kid or some old guy is going out on a run an hour after reading about the tragic loss of the firefighter in Cleveland, and now they're going to think, okay, you know what, let's put the ladder truck straight across the highway, just shut it down. Well, let's just do this. So let's, that's that's what we do it is so there'll be some instant response to it. And we try to keep them short and sweet uh, because the, the experts claim they're only going to read for two or three minutes or whatever it is. Uh, 
I mean, yep. m- m- me like you, and I don't know you personally, yeah. but I'm sure you're ADD, ADHD, just for listening to your shows and the way you run around like a nut in the same <laughs> way. Uh, and so uh, most of us are that in this business. So anyway, that's the story of yeah. uh, the secret list and firefighter close calls. And we're, we're thriving. And, and, and the only way we gauge thriving is, is clicks and, and, uh, you know, opening emails. And we see about a 60 to 70% open email. Yeah. I rate. bet you do. And Which, it varies. And that's really good. I that's guess really good. That's yeah. off the charts. In 2022 open rates for emails is between one and 3%. <laughs> that's it. That's and that's regular like e-commerce oh marketing, goodness. right? Oh and but and that's where I was going with this is like back in 1998 when the secret list started coming out and then the website launched, it was it was 100% open rate in my world because it was a a way to digest important conf, uh you know uh information quickly yeah. and to be honest with you and this is what i wanted to ask you i mean you know 49 years in the fire service you started in 1973 i think when we were chatting your bio said right yeah. and right. from from your roots from 73 to 98 when it started with you doing the, the blind copies and, and sending information out and seeing the value in that and then realizing that the computer is here to stay it's not easy for people to typically pivot to try the next thing, right? The, the a way to get the message out. And you must have saw incredible value in email and the ability to share on a larger stage by using a computer, no? So, yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, a friend of mine, Jack McElfish, who's retired chief out of Richmond, Virginia, Gwinnett County, Georgia, he had a group of friends, about 10 or 12 of us, where about every quarter, he would photocopy articles of interest. And I think that was one of the key reasons that I got interested. He'd send us just articles of stuff, fire stuff. Uh, and uh, so I, remember I, guy, I, I remember guys doing that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Yep. But the other thing is, and, and, and let me comment on this, Jeremy, because so if you if you look at when I started to, there's been, a couple, I'm, I'm in the third generation, I guess, at this point that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. Maybe the fourth, if you look at the World War II guys I started with and the, the Vietnam vets and, sure. and, and the Gulf War guys and all that. And you got to you got to keep up with the changes. And and I f- the only way to get the message out is keep. A, that's why we have Twitter. That's why we have I'm not on Facebook personally, but our system feeds to Facebook. And we have a boatload of people that are on Facebook that follow our postings. So if you have a message, you got to figure out the various ways of getting it out there. But it also ties to understanding that as a boss, I've got to keep up with what's going on or I'm going to become irrelevant or maybe even dangerous. 100%. And, and I'm talking about responding to incidents. We were talking the other day. I've gone from uh, – I first became a chief in 1982 to doing what – a lot of basically do what we did back then. If you've seen the hack and sack video, sure. that poor battalion chief running all over the place, but that's what we did. Yep. Okay. That's we had to go to the roof to check it. We had to go here. Uh, and, and we've evolved so much, but I've had to take more training. I've had to erase my mind and start new. Uh, and it's been a challenge. And, and we were just talking about this the other day. Um, I, I, we, we do night drills. We do dance. We're a training department. We're constantly training along with our mutual aid partners. And we did a night drill last week, uh, at night in the cold purposely with live fire at our burn tower. Uh, and I was just thinking back, holy shit, 
this is the communication. This is how we communicate today. We didn't communicate back that way. Yeah. And it's an effort. It's an effort. So you can't rest on your laurels. And this is a message to the bosses out there. You got to keep up with what's up. You got to, I mean, flow path cannot be something you think about as water coming out of your nozzle. Flow path today is about the fire and where it's going. And it just really hit me the other day. And I don't remember what happened or what, but it really clicked that, man, if you're going to stay in that seat, you better stay in, in, in the game. And it's constant change all the time and training all the time. You know, I was, uh, I, I, uh, Jim McCormack out at uh, Fire Department Training Network, he posted, uh, he posted a picture of uh, White Hats going to work on on his property there at uh, Disneyland, right? And yeah, and you know, and he showed how they were running command and that they were training along with the troops. And it, I reposted it on our social because that impacted me because it's so customary to have chiefs, white helmets, gold shields. Once they attain that level. Their company training or their command training yeah. or, or any level of training other than the required minutia of uh, that's required that year, they're typically stepping away from it. They're staying in their office. I, I, go ahead. And we don't want you stretching a line, Chief. We don't want that's, you throwing a ladder. We right. know you did that. We're proud of you. Fantastic. Wonderful. We want you in your buggy running the drill that's like right. you would run a fire. Because, it, But by the way, um, I was dear friends with Ed McCormick, Jimmy's dad. And I can tell you probably the day Jimmy reached puberty, just so you're aware of that. <laughs> so Jimmy's a good, good kid. Jimmy's made one hell of a difference in his corner of the he world sure has. with his uh, training center. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the McCormick family is some is a group of people that are very, very dear and near to me. And his dad, Ed McCormick, gave me many, many chances and opportunities when Ed was chair of ISFSI many years ago. Anyway, back to no, back but to let's let's pivot to that conversation because that you your roots run very deep, right? And you know, I didn't I didn't go into a whole bio in the beginning because I figured everything we were going to talk about in the next hour or so is going to lead back to somewhere in your career. And you have a very decorated career. You you've been a fireman for almost forty nine years or almost fifty years, right? And on top of that. You have many accolades and awards and so on, but you've also been involved in so many different committees, associations, platforms. You are all in on the fire service, and I mean that like all in. You just had to turn <laughs> off, I don't know how many radios in, in your home office, right, that when you're off for the day, you're still monitoring, listening to probably Always. half of Ohio, I'm sure, right? Always. Yeah. You're, you're all in. Talk to me about that, because when I read your Pass It On book, right, and we're going to get into the Pass It On series, right, you, you talked about a guy in your volunteer day when you were a kid sanding your floors in your home, I believe, and this guy, and he had his turnout gear in the backseat of his car, and he, he shared with you the how special the fire service was and what so i'm looking at his picture right now are you that's awesome yeah. i mean so this guy this guy set the stage for you right i mean he the, did. yeah talk about the impact of that right because yeah. i have to believe you've touched a lot of people coming up through your years in the fire service and I know that the most important title you carry is not deputy chief it's not you know this or that it's family man i know how important family is to you 
And I know that through just watching you on social media and posting about your grandkids and your own children, it's very important to you. But the impact, when you're all in like you are, you must be spreading the fire service everywhere you go. And I think that is so important. Can you talk a little bit about that influence as a kid and and then you now being that person influencing others? So, yeah, so growing up in Long Island in, in uh, the Manhasset Lakeville Fire District in Nassau County, um, we did have a guy. Back then, you would have your floors stripped annually and rewaxed, and, yeah. or you did it yourself, and we were fortunate enough to have somebody do it for us. And I followed this guy, Danny. Uh, they also knew him as Dino from the Comac Long Island Fire Department, a very busy uh, urban volunteer department. Uh, out to his car and he had a Woody station wagon. And now this was after he rode me, this was after he rode me around on his floor waxing machine because it was no OSHA or lawsuits yeah, back right. then. Yeah. So I would sit on the motor and he'd run me all over the basement. It was wonderful. And we walk out to put that I'm five years old. We walk out to put the uh, uh, machine in the back and yeah, there's a, uh, I see it like it was yesterday. There was a black leather helmet. Uh, with no no uh, suspension inside of it, of yeah, course. Yeah, right. And uh, the uh, black coat with uh, very minimal silver striping, uh, rubber pull-up boots. And I asked him, what is that? He says, I'm a firefighter. I said, but you work on homes. He goes, no, I'm a volunteer firefighter. and We're all volunteer firefighters out here. And that was the moment. Um, I mean, I always remember as a kid having an interest in fire trucks. But that was kind of the key moment there. And, and from that point on, as five, six, seven, eight years old, he would bring me uh, basic firefighter and advanced firefighter training manuals from the Suffolk County Fire Academy. That's so uh, on Long Island, and he just kept feeding that. And I have, I have, other than my family and music, I have no other interests. I'm um, I'm very boring at parties. I'll go to <laughs> I'll go to neighbor parties, and I'm like, and I'll, I'll I mean I often will wear T-shirts and fire just so somebody will talk to me about it. You're yeah. Fine. Yeah. Let's talk. Yeah. 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 We and, find our and, own. And, and, and people, um, they, they actually, they, they give me a lot of grief about that. Do you own any other clothes? And I immediately go out and buy more t-shirts cause that pisses them off. Um, because I, I want to be identified as a firefighter. I love talking about what we do. I love people being aware of what we do and how important it is for them in their own homes to, to, to minimize fire. I mean, I'm not like Sparky the fire dog. I don't like, I'm not like a big prevention guy, but the message is critical because we've all seen some horrible, horrible stuff. So it's, it's, it's that, but no, I am, I'm all in. And, and uh, you know, my boss chuckles because he, I am so ate up. I believe he has one more red light on his car than I do just to annoy me. <laughs> and, 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 you know, years ago I had two sirens on my staff car and somebody asked why you have two, you really don't need to. And they give you grief about it. So I put a third siren on. And, and again, I, I'm not ashamed of who I am. I love what I do. And I've taken both the good and some of the tough lessons I've learned. And I try and share those with people uh, as you've seen. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that gentleman, Danny, really set the stage for you, whether he knew he was or not. Right. I mean, that did you have family in the fire service or was that your no. first exposure? So, no, okay. no, my parents were immigrants from Poland and uh, it, it was nothing to do. I mean, I, a side note, I was adopted and that'll tie into our cancer story. But okay. the people who adopted me, Joyce and Sam Goldfeder, were immigrants. My mom was an immigrant from Russia. My dad was an immigrant from Poland. 
uh, and uh, so there was no no connection to the fire service. It was just my own interest. Okay, got it. And I know that the uh, Long Island Manhasset Lakehurst was super- Lakeville. Oh, I'm sorry, Lakeville. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I know how impactful that was for you because you still to this day talk about Long Island at length on some of your social media stuff. I do. Uh, and the good and the bad. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I'm still a member, uh, uh, at company three of Manhasset Lakeville. Uh, I hung out also at the, uh, the great Nick vigilant fire company, great Nick alert fire, that, that whole cluster up there. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And, and a great love. And I owe them, uh, I mean, what I owe them is priceless for the opportunities they gave me the interest for, not chasing me away from the firehouse as a little kid on my bike and all that kind of stuff and allowing me. And, and there were, believe me, there were people who didn't want any little kid hanging around there, but there were plenty who were interested. Uh, I mean, I grew up around Lee Ielpi who oh, lost wow. his son on nine yeah. 11 and Lee, Lee was the, ended up becoming chief at the great Nick Vigilant firehouse. And so, uh, and, and some other names uh, who were, uh, who, who just are just, you know, heroes in my eye. Uh, and, and what they've done, but it, it was, it was that, it was that, the, the, the enthusiasm, it was before the second blast of the whistle blew 10 cars screaming up into the parking lot and that's not there anymore. Yep. And that, that's the other part of this is, and I talked about this, see when we, I always remind myself, like if I didn't get to go to a fire, I'm, I, I get annoyed because I was out of town or whatever, and I'd love to be there. But I remind myself, it's not about me. We sent very competent people. They took care of it. You're not all that important. Calm the hell down. <laughs> and, and, and we got to remember that, that we're just one person. But what's critical to understand is we also have an obligation. And the American, North American Volunteer Fire Service is in deep trouble. Uh, there are some who've acknowledged it. There are some who have their heads in the sand. And without painting a broad brush, it's typically those who've been around for such a long time but refuse to change. Yeah. And uh, look, I get it, okay? Nobody was more volley than I was in, in those days. All right, nobody went quicker. Nobody missed a run less than I did, right? Okay, but it's time to change. And it doesn't necessarily mean hiring people. It means assessing what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong and how you can fix it. Start the, the conversation. Thing, yes. And the one thing that the two things volunteer fire departments could do immediately is one box alarms. So you get multiple departments toned at the same time. So only one to each department has to send one rig, very common in the DC area. They've been doing it since the fifties. There's nothing crazy about that. And two is in-house duty crews. Gone are the days where the first two engine is based upon you know, three guys racing down the street with blue lights on their cars. Yeah. Our communities I, have grown. Our communities have changed. And we got to stop bullshitting the public that when they call 911, we're going to be on our way because odds are they're going to get a, a chief's car for about six, seven, eight, ten 10 minutes. And then if they're lucky, they're going to get a fire truck. I'm not being mean. Look no, at the it's, reality. it's reality. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm in a home response department. My volunteer department is still home response, right? So they're inherently, you know, we're, we're pulling on less people to do more. And response times do start to climb. And you're, you know, I think about it all the time. And it's funny that this came up. I was just talking about this over the weekend. I have as a kid, I mean, I was that kid. I, my father was a fireman, right? And so on. So I was surrounded by it. But it was very different for us. The firehouse wasn't overly kid friendly at that time. 
And uh, right. it was where dad went to go to fires and we didn't tag along. And so yeah. we would chase the fire trucks on our bikes, you know, and my brothers and I, I have two older brothers, all three of us became firemen. And, and you know, we, we lived in that type of, of setup. But I remember as a kid, like the most iconic thing ever was when the whistle blew and you drove past the firehouse three minutes later and all the doors were up and all the trucks were gone and there's shoes all over the concrete shoes on floor, the floor. Right? <laughs> that to me yeah and and that to me is the most iconic symbol yep. of like the volunteer fire service and now you drive past after the whistle blows and there might be one engine gone the doors already down there's two cars yep. in the parking lot right That's it right. is so different today yeah. than it yep. was and and I agree with you. We need to do a much better job at starting to address this problem. And it really begins with a conversation of what are the services that we're providing the people that are expecting us to arrive, right? Yeah. I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, we're providing a service, and we have that obligation to ensure that they are well protected to the very best of our abilities. And when we start to fall down on that duty, we got to get moving here. And see, that makes us uncomfortable because 100%. I'd rather sleep at home. I'd rather do this. Nobody cares what you'd rather do. You signed up to, to provide the service, like you said. And, you know, these districts who are, or, you know, they have no problem spending, uh, you know, this amount of money to refurbish an antique fire truck. And I'm all about that. Real Trust gold me. leaf, right? Okay. I'm a huge but fan. <laughs> yeah, how about but. we spend some money on remodeling the upstairs yeah. so we have private bunk rooms uh, for guys and gals. Uh, we have comfortable, nice, plush beds. Uh, I mean, Middleton, Wisconsin is a volunteer fire department, one of those beautiful fire stations I've seen. And they have quilted, uh, uh, um, um, you know, uh, uh, quilts. They have thick mattresses. They have uh, reading areas. They have computers. They have snack areas. They're doing everything but paying you to be there. And, 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 you know, if, if you're going to start asking your people to start doing duty crews and start, you know, uh, staying in quarters and stuff, then we need to accommodate those needs. Yeah. And I don't care, Commissioner, that you didn't have beds back then. It doesn't matter. Right. Because back when you joined Commissioner, if the people who were in charge said, let's just keep the horses, then we still sweep enough horse shit in the firehouses. So we've got to make those changes. And you know what? You'll find out when you go to the duty crew concept, and we're going to talk about automatic beach late in a second, but when you go to the duty crew concept, first of all, now you're not relaying on the same three or four people to make all the runs because that's really who's showing up. Yep. And then everybody else shows up on meeting night for the free meal and all that crap, right? But you're relying on everybody now to carry their fair share. You're also getting everybody trained at the same level because that duty crew night, we're going to do an hour or two of training every week. So it just evolves into, is it going to be different? Yes, and it can be much better. Uh, and, and, and talk about the pride of getting your rig on the road in 30 seconds to a minute and getting water on the fire when it's just in the bedroom instead of pulling up and it's through the roof. I mean, that, that, that's kind of the bottom line. 100%. It, it, yeah, and then the automatic aid, you know, um, so you have a duty crew. Well, we have five trucks, but only one duty crew. Nobody cares. Go to your neighboring departments, talk to them. Let's start doing the same thing. We're going to alert four or five departments on a first alarm so we can immediately get three or four engines, a truck, and a heavy rescue out. And then if it's a if it comes in as a box, as a building fire, the home responders can come and get the other stuff. 
but we're getting what the people need for that fire there quickly. So I, I don't know. I, Chief, I, I've I could, been writing about it, screaming about it. Chief, about I could, it. I could talk about this for hours. Maybe you and I need to revisit this, just you and I and hammer this thing out for like a three-hour podcast because I could talk about this forever. And, yeah. uh, you know, and I, I am so opinionated when it comes to, to this topic because I've lived it for 28 years. I mean, this is sure. the culture that I'm immersed in. And it's it's just uh, anyway, we can go on and on. But I think that parallels. Let's talk about when you were talking about commissioner, commissioner, that parallels exactly what you were saying 20 minutes ago about the need to pivot and the need to be able to grow and adapt with today's fire service, right? Like you began firefighters close calls in the secret list because you found ways to adapt to get your message out. This is very much the same thing, right? We have to constantly keep learning and keep providing a better service for our people as we go. And and, and during the time that I think impacted me the most was in the early seventies when I was out in Nassau County and we, had two firefighters killed in Bethpage. We had two firefighters killed in Valley Stream. We had a firefighter killed in Wontaw. We had a firefighter killed in Garden City Park, and, and, and there were others. And what really struck me was how normal those deaths seemed as I was a young kid, wow. firefighter, because it was, quote, accepted as part of the job. And some were, some were not. It, it just depends on the incident. Like everything in our business, it depends. And it, it really struck me that it was so normal. Well, it's part of the job. It was horrible, but it's part of the job. And that really struck me as well. And if you followed any of the stuff I write and talk about in, in my classes, it doesn't have to always be. And I'm not one of those that say stay outside and hit it hard and all that crap. I, you know what? Show me the fire and I'll tell you what to do based upon your resources and your size up. It, 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 everyone's different. Sometimes it's very appropriate to shoot water in a window. Sometimes it's inappropriate to do it and all that kind of crap. But the fact is that they took these deaths as part of the job. And, and I grasped it and said, no, because most of our line to do the deaths don't have to happen. I mean, it's that simple. I think when we normalize line of duty deaths, where we, we've hit a, a place that we don't want to be. And we did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I agree with you. I agree. I think that it's yeah. it's all too commonplace. And I think, you know, the other thing too, Chief, if you don't mind talking about this maybe with me for a minute, but, you know, the list of line of duty deaths, I mean, the, it is so, such a broad spectrum of what qualifies. And I, I don't I don't want to come off incorrect or wrong here, but no, no, no. you know what I'm saying? Like, there, I, yeah. you know, when it comes to health-related versus, uh, you know, uh, stru- you know, structural firefighting hit by a car while performing duty, like, you know, not the, the heart attack 24 hours after the, the fact, you know? Like, I wonder, I almost wonder if we should look at providing two lists in a way to say... And I, I don't know why you're. I don't know if you're laughing like I'm an I'm an idiot or if, no, if no, there's some validity we've in had this. These discussions, so it's, you know, I've been on the because board would, of the National would, Fallen Firefighter. Go ahead. It would paint yeah. a more accurate picture, right? Like when we well, start talking about. What, go ahead, Chief. No, 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 I no. no. I know you're going down a path that many, many have gone before. Sure, sure. And so should and, and so should an 87 year old fire police right directing traffic have a heart attack right be treated the same as a 25 year old firefighter who climbs to the roof of a building because he wants to had no building business being up there falls through the roof and burns to death versus 
the firefighter who gets there, well-trained, well-disciplined, there's people inside, there's a legit reason to attempt grabs, and they attempt to make a grab, and there's a collapse. And that's exactly the issue you're talking about, Jeremy. Yeah. Is or the or the four hundred fifty pound guy who's five foot three, who you can't see the blue light on his dash because of the candy wrappers in the car. <laughs> and it, it, same same thing. Yes. So what we do is um, there is a criteria. Uh, it's set through the Department of Justice, and it has been lobbied and altered from time to time. But here's 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 my logic. Why wouldn't we recognize the family of those who have fallen as long as they fell while they were on the job? And that makes it a lot easier. I mean, we're going to start. Good, it's a very good. It's a very good point. That's a, it's the family. Very we're not good. honoring. Yes, you're right. We're not honoring how they died. We're honoring the life they lived. Okay, because that 87-year-old fire policeman, he was going to probably die that day, whether he was at, at, at the uh, at grocery store sure. or whether he was directing traffic. Dedic- dedicated right? his life to it, you know. Yeah, I, I yeah. got it. So I got it. We can, get, we can get very emotional over it, or we can say, you know what, let's recognize the lives that we're not talking about, you know, a lot of cost here. Uh, you know, they get a couple hundred thousand dollars for the family, which isn't going to last very long at all. Uh, and we do recognize the life they live. We don't necessarily recognize the way they died. That's usually based upon the, the local organization. Now, every year at the foundation, we have a memorial service at Emmitsburg. If you've never been, you've got right. to go. Absolutely. In the spring this year, by the way, we've yep. moved it now to the spring. Um, that way, if the government threatens to shut down in the fall, we're still open because every year in the fall, they go through that crap. And got it. We're not sure where to have it, but we, when you read through the book, I think we've got it as finely tuned as possible okay. uh, without, uh, you know, but yeah, I mean, we've talked about, do you want to have a class A, a class B, a class C, and it just gets into so much bullshit and so much politics that there's more important things we need to be focusing our energy on. I get that. Uh, I get so that, that. That's kind of where it is. Yeah, so I mean, the only reason the only reason I bring it up is when you look at the the stats, if you will, and maybe if it's sure. broken down to understand, which I know it does get broken down to, you know, um, the different uh, categories, if you will. There are organizations out there that break it down and give you the real numbers. But when we talk about line of duty deaths, you know, in in the in the uh, in the realm of firefighting, if you will, right uh, on you know on scene, if you you know something like that. Sure. Um, sure. You know, the number is much less than what is represented. And when we paint, oh. a, you talk about a broad stroke. I mean, we talk about the amount of line of duty deaths that the American Fire Service has versus other countries. And it's, you know, and it's like far exceeds many. And it, but when you break down the actual numbers, you know, when you start That's looking right. at, you know what I'm saying? So it's just I don't yeah, know. Oh, for, I... Yeah. For me, it's just I don't know. I, I, I can. But you I like how you put it. The fact that we're there to memorize, memorialize them, but recognize their families for the service and contributions they've given to the fire service, and that that ultimately is what it's about. So I and, and that's I get it. that's kind yeah. of the bottom line. And, and I get it. I mean, we've we've been fighting it for years, and I think we're at a relatively good place. We're adding cancer to it. Uh, we're adding suicide to it. Yeah, very controversial. Oh yeah. Uh, so anyway, but we're 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 trying to do. Do versus not do, we try to do what's best for the family and what's best to honor the firefighters. So that's it. Perfect. Well said. Thank you for that. Um, let's talk about some other projects. I mean, you're so, so involved. You got uh, your best selling books, right? I think there's three of them out now. 
Uh, yeah, which we'll is ready, uh, we'll release a fourth one. Pass in, uh, it on. What yeah, we yeah, know, yeah. what we want you to know. <laughs> a collection of stories from over 100 different recognized fire service brothers and sisters that want to share their experiences. And I read the, I, I was reading some of the book uh, last night and I read it when I first got it. I didn't get through the whole thing yet, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, sure. But I read a bunch of it. And what I found was fun was you were like, people are asking me to write a book. I should write a book. And you're like, what? I, I'm out there so much anyway, but why? It doesn't need to be my stories. It, it should be sharing, bringing to light the stories and lessons learned from others in the industry and putting it under one cover. And that's what I really like about that format is that you get, uh, you know, a couple pages from each person and it's a story, a situation, there's pictures, there's uh, fires they've been to, things that have happened in the firehouse, career changing events. Like it's all over the place, which is a lot of fun because it makes for a very good read. So, yeah. And, and so uh, I'm very honored and blessed by, uh, fire engineering and, and some others over the years we write a book write a book and do you really need another book to tell you how to stretch a hose line you know i mean if you, you know what i'm saying yeah i get so it I'm thinking, I, totally so get I was it. on a plane and i was reading esquire magazine <clears throat> and esquire every month has a page called what we know or what i know or what i want you to know something like that uh and it was robert de niro's story and i'm saying boom that's the book that's cool it was instant. And yeah. uh, so we did it. We did three books. We're done. Um, uh, I mean, there's maybe in 10 years, there'll be more stories for somebody else to tell. But because I am very fortunate, I, I've i met so many really cool people and a couple assholes along the way. <laughs> and But I've learned from them as well. And so sure. be, because of that, I think about the kid in, in, you know, in, in Babaville, Iowa, who can't go to FDIC, who can't yes. go to firehouse, yes. who can't go to fire rescue. Uh, and I think, you know what, this is a chance for that kid to meet these people and hear from them. So that's what we did. It was very easy to, everybody agreed they would do it. Uh, none of my books is any money making. Uh, we've donated all the proceeds to the chief Ray Downey scholarship, the national Fallen firefighters. And the um, uh, firefighter can't support network. Yeah. Uh, so great. every every nickel has gone to them, and I'm working on a fourth book right now. Oh, cool. Uh, my compadre uh, and I, Frank Lieb, and I are writing a book. Sure. It's called Thirty Fires You Must Know. So you uh, do you remember I sent you a message probably about four or five months ago about this topic, and you're like, "Hey, I got something in the works about this." Do you remember that yeah, or no? I do. I do. Yeah, yes, because that was that was something that I wanted to look at because I think that we need to, I, I have some ideas and maybe we'll talk offline here <laughs> and sure. you know, it might be, it might be a fun project to get involved with, but I'm looking at the fact that there are very many different types of things that we should all know the foundation of the fire service, whether it's uh, pieces of equipment, individuals, uh, game changing fires. There's a whole list of every category Absolutely. of things, the foundational bricks that made us who we are today. And I yeah. think that it's very important that we share that knowledge, not only with guys that are on the line now, but educate every eight and 10 year old kid who was eight up like you were at eight and 10, just like I was to give them that for, you know, that foundation now give them a way for them to learn about why the fire service is so great. 
the mentors we've had, the people we've had, the game-changing fires that have occurred, the pieces of equipment and why they're named such, right? Like, you know, I mean, everybody should know the history of the Halligan Bar. Halligan Tool, sure. Right? right. I mean, or Halligan Tool, right? I mean, like, everybody (laughs) should know that. Right. And there's these all these different things. So we'll talk we'll talk about that shortly when we get so off. That, of, that, that tied ahead. into that. So that yeah. tied into that. So I was uh, I, I, I was doing a lot of seminars for a lot of years to, quite frankly, compensate for what I lost in a divorce. So I was able to people asked me to come speak. And I did. And, and sure. I was doing about 100 classes a year for about 18 years. It was wonderful yeah so i've cut back prior to prior to covid i cut back uh because of my grandkids i need to be around as much as i can i don't want to miss a baseball game or a basketball game or any of that and so as part of that um one class i was in just after covid that i was doing and i having lunch with the crew and I said, well, let's talk about Hackensack. And two of them looked at me like I had three heads. 15 minutes down the road from me where I live. Boom. Yep. And that was, that was, Hackensack was what I said, I'm doing this. And then Frank and I were talking quite a bit anyway about how, how come these younger folks don't know about this? You know, do they teach sure. the Hackensack fire at the New York City Fire Academy? Or do they only teach about New York City fires at the New York City Fire Academy? That kind of stuff. So we said, you know what, let's do this. So um, uh, Frank uh, was on board and we're each working on it. Uh, just very briefly, it'll be out in 2023. I just can't wait. Uh, and there'll be numerous volumes of it because we had to really whittle down to come up with the 30 we wanted. We could have done, you know, 200 fires. Oh, I, I know. Doing... I started going down that rabbit hole. I know. Yeah. So we're not doing any ancient fires. We're doing fires within the time where I've been alive, where Frank's been alive, uh, within this generation and the one prior to it. <clears throat> so they're relatively modern incidents. Uh, each chapter will be started off by me doing a brief introduction. Then the chapter itself is going to be written by someone who was there. Oh, wow. Or is related to somebody who was there. So we're getting a firsthand view, including Hackensack, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and then Frank is going to do a section after each of those where you have a lesson plan for that fire. So tonight you can take that fire and do a drill I love it. if you want. I love it. And then, now let me show you how modern I am. Yeah, there we go. Right, there's going to be a QR code, whatever. Look at you code. go. At the end of every chapter, you take your phone, you scan it, it'll bring you to the report, it'll bring you to videos, it'll bring you all that. So. We're really excited. It's it's called Thirty Fires You Must Know. And I love int- yeah. everything so, about that. And yeah, we're pretty excited about it. I'm excited oh, for there'll you. There'll be a website too. There'll yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited for you because I think that that's going to make a difference and it and yeah. it matters, right? And so, yeah. good for you. I, that's fantastic. That makes me very happy. But I know I sent you that message. You're like, hey, well, we're yeah. working on something. And I was like, ah. <laughs> I mean, it's but, the Vandalia, the yeah, Vandalia sure. fire, the McDonald's fire in Houston. I yes. Mean, it just goes on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we're going to help push that back so people understand what happened. Well, please keep me up to date on that. And yeah. I would love to help push that and get it out there for Absolutely. sure so that'd be a lot of fun man i love doing again, collaboration projects we added the um tunnels to towers fund oh that's great in addition to the others so there'll be those charities what a great chat they all are unbelievable charities so that's yeah. that's great 
Let me let me ask you this because I want to get into the forty plus fire. I want to talk about that because I know that's very important to you and it's a very new project for you. Uh, that was you know a, a personal impact is how it all came about. Two things I wanted to ask. One, did you have that mustache when you were five and six years old? <laughs> no, but I dreamed about the, it. I used to put my <laughs> I used to put my comb under my nose. The iconic, <laughs> the iconic Billy Goldfeder yeah. mustache. I mean, it is. Uh, it's you. I mean, I if you shave that thing off, I I think you'd go unrecognized. No, what do you think? I, I could go back into adult bookstores you, again. <laughs> nobody would recognize me. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and then the other thing I wanted to ask too, which kind of parallels the conversation before. I had to get the mustache comment in, but something I wanted to ask you was. You know, you said you were traveling for 18 years to 100 different classes almost every year. You know, I mean, that's 1,800 different fire departments or, or the same over and over, whatever. But your exposure to the American Fire Service is vast. Your connections, the amount of people you know, just in this podcast for the last 45 minutes alone, you've mentioned many names that are recognizable in the American Fire Service. You travel all over. Where I'm going with this conversation is you get to see the very much the difference between departments, municipalities, the demographics, the departments that are made up of career and volunteer. Our fire service is so different across the board, right? And and so where I'm going with this is I think too often we get cornered in our own little slice of America of where we operate and, and how we operate. And we forget about the delivery of the message to others that don't have the same means. Their response obligations are different. The makeup of their municipality is different. And I think we lose track of uh, delivering a message for everyone across the board. And for you, when you travel that much and you see the differences in the in in the fire service, right, from a small, you know, 1965 Persh engine that's still in service in, in some that's rural right. town in Iowa versus a large metropolitan going, department. Going, Go ahead. by the way, going, by the way, probably to more fires they than mu- most of us go to. Every time their whistle blows, there's probably a fire, right? <laughs> it's really on yeah, fire. Yeah. Right? But my, my point is, like, for guys like you that are so enamored with the fire service and so involved and, and travel so much and see – so many differences. How how important was that to your career and how you deliver your message and how how the fire service looks to you? I mean, do you think about those type of things when you formulate your programs or the conversations or the emails you write? Do you do you think about the differences or do you just paint the American fire service with a broad stroke like you said before? Well, we're we're all different. We're all the same. I mean, the, the mission is the same. All yeah. many don't understand the mission sometimes okay um but you can and, and let me sum it up with this statement and then i'll, I'll give a more broad uh, characterization um you can have a house fire of 1000 square feet on the corner of main and fifth and you can have that same style house at the corner of main and 17th and you may live in two different fire districts and the way that's going to be responded to the way that's going to be handled could couldn't be further from yes. day and night right that's a problem um because it shouldn't be that different now i'm all about individual cultures individual esprit de corps uh, all that kind of stuff but we shouldn't be commanding a single family dwelling fire in brooklyn any different than we're doing in pompton lakes new jersey 
We still need command control accountability. We still need discipline. We need training before, the, you know, and, and I use this as an example a lot. I'm a big FDNY fan. I grew up in Long Island. Sure. My sight would not allow me to get where I wanted to be. So I took a different path. But, you know, uh, I, I use the example all the time that FDNY does this, and not all FDNY, but many of the companies do this all the time. So we love to emulate, we love to look like, we love to pretend to be. But when you understand that FDNY's academy is almost a year, to become an officer in the FDNY, you study three or four years. You have to go through an officer's program. You can't just buy a, a bell top hat and, and a phone handle that looks like a radio and pretend you're FDNY. You gotta, you gotta be you. And a lot of what they do is phenomenal, but you can't replicate in the suburbs because you're not getting 30 people who've been through the same academy, who've been through the same training, who have required constant training, and who have the same leadership training at your volunteer fire department. So figure out what works best for your community. But back to where we said, there should be little difference in that house fire on Main Street five blocks away. Yes. And and it's it makes me insane. Now, I'm real proud of the area I work in, which is Northeast Cincinnati area, uh, that we've pretty much got it down pat. You can take a chief from any of our eight or 10 or 12 different departments in our, in my department's particular area, and we're going to run it pretty much the same way. And we don't really care who gets there first. They're going to run it the same way we do because we were now it's taken 20 years. Yes. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's worked. And we've had to wait for some people to retire. We've had to wait for some people to die and we've had to perhaps arrange some deaths to get some of these idiots out of the way so we do things the right way. But it, it, it is a problem with these differences. So what I do, Jeremy, when I do my program, it applies to everybody because I only cover the fires that everybody would go to. Sure. I only, because I don't know high rise. Okay. I don't right. try and even think about teaching high rise. You want high rise? Talk to Vinnie Dunn, talk to Jordan Norman, talk to some of those guys, right? I can do single family dwelling really well. I can do multifamily dwelling uh, really well. And I can do uh, strip malls, things like that. That's what we do. And that, that's my forte. And just about every fire department in America covers what I just talked about. So yeah. that, that's, that's, I hope that answers you. No, question. that was really, that was really well said. And I appreciate that. And I think that, you know, the importance of the delivery of our services need to be similar in fashion, meaning that life and property are the priority and that we do everything in our abilities to make sure that that is the priority and we do it professionally and quickly in X, Y, and Z, right? And absent of personality. hundred percent. Yeah. I like you don't that. like that. You don't like them bastards down the block because they have green trucks. Yeah. But nobody cares. Uh, well, this guy's wife messed around with that guy in 1960s. Nobody cares. No, I agree. I agree. Right? Those Get days, are, those days are long over. They have to be. And, yeah. and we still see some of that in my area. I yeah, mean, I we're, know. we're far from perfect and we've got to, this one doesn't like that one, and that one doesn't like that. You don't get, don't have lunch with them. Yeah, but sit down and work shit out so we can get thirty or forty people on a first alarm, who are actually doing stuff in the same manner. So, no, and I appreciate that, and it's very well said, and I appreciate you diving in on that one real quick with me because I know that our our listenership comes from every corner 
of this country. And so, yeah. you know, we're, we're hitting those very rural communities, but we're also hitting the metropolitan cities also. And it's important for other people other than myself to really talk about that topic of, you know, the services we provide and how they need to be provided, whether you're in bigger little communities and so on. So I just appreciate you diving in on that. And plus your exposure. I mean, you travel all over the country. You've been doing this for 50 years. You know, a lot of the game changing people and influential people, in the in the fire service, so it's important for a gentleman like yourself, a chief like yourself, to be able to to paint a picture on that. So I appreciate that. Two Let's, quick comments. Yeah, please. Let me just jump on rural. Do it. Just a message: rural departments, you can't get there and act like you're shocked. There's no water. <laughs> there are rural departments who consistently respond by themselves when they get there and the house is well involved. Then they call for the tanker task force. Send the required fire flow on your first alarm. If the house requires a 1,500-gallon fire flow, which is all calculable, then send that on your first alarm if somebody called up and said their house was on fire. Don't wait. Otherwise, you're going to burn it down. 100%. So that, that's, that's one thought. So that might mean you're going to put eight or ten tankers on the first alarm. And then, oh, what if they crash? Well, tell them, teach them how to drive. Shit, I don't know. Yeah. But you, you got you to gotta deliver the amount of water. And secondly, you mentioned about knowing people. Go up to them and say hi. Yes. When you see John Salk at the convention, when you see uh, John Norman at the convention, when you see any, any of the above people, go up and say hi. My dad used to say we all shit the same. And th and that really stuck in my head. Every, everybody <laughs> goes to the bathroom the same. Nobody's any better than anybody else. And these are good guys who started as volleys. Some are still volleys. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean that. I mean, you know, there's guys from L.A. County who were not volleys. But they're all approachable. All yes. approachable. And if they're not, then rethink whether you want them teaching for you or if you want to even read their stuff. I couldn't agree with you more. Back I talk you. about that all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Look at this. Look at this. National Fire Radio wouldn't be what it was if I didn't ask. Right. Exactly. I'm talking to That's Billy right. Goldfeder today, a guy that was instrumental in understanding <laughs> the delivery of the message of the secret list back in 1998 to me. Like, to me, this is, this is a full, full circle moment for me. That's you know, and cool. I enjoy chatting with you, and this is fun, and I hope it's the beginning of a great friendship. But, Absolutely. like, this that's what this is about, right? Yeah. Like, you can better yourself by meeting people. People make you better. I mean, one of the most approachable people in the world, Tommy Richardson, just retired as chief of the FDNY. Yes. Uh, frankly, chief of training. These are just regular people. Gentlemen. Who did really well. Oh, anyway, go yeah. back to you. No, I like that. Well, let's do this, right? Because I'm looking at the clock. I don't want to keep you too long uh, and so on. But let's talk about your new project that you've rolled out that is very personal to you, 40 Plus Fire, www.40plusfire. Uh, it is prostate and related cancer awareness for firefighters. Yes, I got cancer. I've uh, <clears throat> been, been uh, you know, I... I in the peak of my firefighting as a line firefighter, we were doing 50 to 60 working fires a year. And, and I made most of those. That was, that was pretty damn good. And uh, we were rubber pull-up boots. We were short coats. Our blue jeans uh, had a thick black, black ring around them right in the crotch area, right? Uh, we would come back and, and uh, we'd, God help you if you washed your helmet. Uh, we wanted them to look as dirty and nasty as possible. And I'm just making this up. This is reality. This no, it is. It's still, it still exists today. And we would blow our noses for days to come to see who still had black snots the most in order to see who got in there the deepest. 
And we were pretty proud of that. Uh, and and that's because that's all we knew back then. We didn't know what we didn't know. So as I got older, and, and I'm 67 now, so in the 60s, I'm thinking, geez, every year my physical is pretty good. I mean, you're still too fat. You're still too this, still too that. But I'm, you know, work on it and all that. But otherwise, you're fine. Your heart's good. The numbers are good. And then the year before COVID, I went for my annual physical, and my PSA was up. And that's something that determines the possibility of prostate cancer right. leaking, layering within your body. Uh, so um, the doctor said, uh, you know, we'll keep an eye on it. And I was like, all right, we'll keep an eye on it. And then I missed my physical the year of COVID, like many of us did. And then uh, the next year, which would be uh, a year ago last spring, uh, I went for my physical or, uh, yeah, early summer. And uh, my PSA was up, uh, not significantly, but measurably. And my doctor said, yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. And I said, nope. In that period of time, I'd done so much reading and learning about cancer. I got involved with the Firefighter Cancer Support Network and all that kind of stuff. And I said, no, let's get a check. So she made me an appointment at the Cincinnati Urology Group. It's a group of about 30, 40 doctors and a staff of about 400 people. And all they do is urology stuff, right? So uh, very long story short. Uh, they ran some tests and my uh, numbers uh, indicated that I had uh, prostate cancer. Uh, I had to make a decision whether I wanted surgery or I wanted radiation. Uh, but what's important to note is that when people talk about cancer, we talk about what stage are you in. So that's where your cancer is today. So when I was stage one, so you go, oh, you're good. Well, there's a part two to that. There's something called a Gleason score. And the Gleason score runs from one to 10. 10 is pretty much a death sentence. One is you're doing great. Uh, but the Gleason score indicates how fast your cancer is moving. It's the miles per hour. It's the aggressiveness. Right. And I was a 9.5. Wow. So that was kind of sobering. And I'll tell you a, a quick story. Uh, I reached out uh, when I was diagnosed. I didn't even tell my kids. Uh, for a while, I wanted to time it because they're all young professionals and all have their lives, and I don't need the. Yeah, you sound that. like my father. Anyway, go ahead. But but I did I did let them know at an appropriate time. I just needed to have I all know. my facts together. Of course, right. So uh, and and a date of my surgery and all that. <clears throat> but what was what was interesting was that when I I reached out to Bobby Hall from Fire Engineering, Bobby and I go way way back before he was at Fire Engineering. And he's a multi-time cancer survivor. Yes. And when I told him what my Gleason score was, he was like, oh, my God. And it pissed me off because he scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I, I, I'll remember that moment forever. And I met with my boss and told him. And, of course, he was concerned. But I was not I, – I never – I never lost faith that I was going to be okay. And I'm not unrealistic. Believe me, if, 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 you know, my limbs were starting to fall off and I was riding away, I would tell you, hey, I'm going to die. Yeah. But I felt like I had a shot here. Uh, but that was a very poignant moment when he said that it maybe pushed me a little bit more into reality, but that number was critical to me as well. So go back to my Mahasa Lakeville days. One of the firefighters I ran was a guy named Johnny Orange. Johnny now is the head of the pulmonary transplant unit at Johns Hopkins. He's a very, very highly regarded uh, uh, professor of medicine around the world. And he and I have still, actually all the guys that I ran with in the 70s who are still alive, we're all still very, very close. I love we that. text daily. We talk daily. It's very, very close. 
So I, re- I reached out to Johnny and he had me send him all his information and he referred it to the Johns Hopkins folks uh, who are the experts in, in uh, prostate cancer. And this was another moment. And that was when uh, Johnny called me on a Sunday because I was getting ready to meet with the surgeon. I had decided I wanted surgery and not radiation. We can talk about that at length some other time. Uh, but Johnny called me on a Sunday and he said, all right, we've reviewed your stuff. Uh, it's pretty serious. He goes, when do you schedule for your surgery? I said, I don't know. I meet with the doctor tomorrow. He says, you tell the doctor tomorrow you want surgery the next day. Wow. And that really hit me as well. Yeah. Wow. Uh, he says, this is very aggressive stuff. So long story short, I had the surgery. Uh, recuperation was a little bit rough. Uh, I was in no pain at any time either due to pain meds or uh, none of the testing was painful. The bone scans were not painful. Uh, and and uh, I did have a setback last March of this year. Uh, there was an infection that came from the surgery. I was in the hospital for 10 days. Uh, that was way worse than the, the initial surgery because mm. I was in the hospital overnight. I had double IVs of antibiotics and, uh, and all that stuff. It was a pretty bad infection going down my leg. But they got that, and, and I'm fine now. I'm, I'm fine. Wow. My numbers are good. Uh, I get tested on a regular basis. I am at high risk for more cancer yeah. because of what my Gleason score was, but so are you. Yeah. And that, that's the only attitude I can have is so is everybody else. With all the chemicals and all the shit that's out there yes. that we're dealing with, not only as firefighters, but as In the life. general public, Yeah, I, I, I can't go down that hole and get all worried about it. So. That's the story. And again, it, it, it can be much more in depth. There's a lot. Uh, and if I would encourage anybody listening, if they have any questions to reach out to me through you, uh, and I'd be glad to answer any other questions they have or talk to them about it. And I also went through the training through the firefighter cancer support network. So I can be assigned as a mentor wow. uh, to anyone who's going through that as well. So <laughs> and sharing the story again, it's, it's not my story to share. I mean, you can, you can, if I wasn't a firefighter and I was a milkman, I don't know that that milkman have a high potential of cancer, but I know firefighters do. So I need to make people aware of it and get yourself tested. Yeah. I mean, if you ignore cancer and you have it, it's not going to go away. And what you don't want is to rot away from this shit. Uh, and, and most of our cancers that we deal with, most, not all, are early detectable, early fixable. But you got to do something. You got to get yourself checked. Well, and, I, and you know what? It's a blood test and it's a finger up your butt. And I don't want to hear your silliness about not wanting a finger up your butt. Because probably in the bedroom, you probably do. But that, you know, that's a whole other <laughs> discussion some other time. But you got to get yourself checked. You got to get yourself I checked. I got my consultation in January and I'll be doing it uh, probably two weeks after my consult. And I'm 45. And uh, my, exactly. my, my doctor said, let's go. It's time. And, uh, yeah. and so on. Let me ask you and this. That's why How, it's 40, yeah. And that's why it's 40 plus fire. If you're 40 years right. old or above mm-hmm. and you go to fires, you've got to get checked. And all the information, including my cancer story, is at the website and it's the number four zero yes plus fire so and you yeah can put i'm looking at it right now actually i had it up uh on the screen while we were chatting and um 40 the number 40 plus fire.com i would suggest if you're listening to this podcast take a few minutes go look at that website digest some of the information 
Billy, thank you for, for doing that. I mean, thank you for putting your story out there and your willingness to talk about it because I think that will make a difference. I think that it's still one of these taboo subjects, especially when it comes to prostate cancer uh, and so on and, and prevention of it, uh, you know, educating ourselves. And that's what I was going to ask you is the fact that you did your own education. I mean, that's probably the individual you are, regardless if it was cancer or, or the 57 Chevy that you're restoring in your garage. You, you do your homework, you do your research. And I can't suggest that enough to people that when, when something like this occurs, to do your own homework as well. Right, yeah. And, Hugely and, and important. Look, if, if, and God forbid any of you are diagnosed, your first call needs to be to the Firefighter Cancer Support Network. There's no money involved and cost you a penny. And they will hook you up with, first of all, they'll send you a package that is, is enormous. Uh, it's got everything from uh, a pill, pill trays uh, for your medications to uh, guides to smart pads. I mean, it's just, it's, it's huge. It's a big box they send you. And it's just, it's a, it's your, your firefighter cancer survival kit. And it's, it's amazing. And then they'll hook you up if you want with another firefighter who you won't know and they will walk you through because they had a similar cancer to you. The work they're doing is unbelievable. And that's the fire service occupational cancer Alliance, correct? No, I'm sorry. That's okay. The cancer Alliance is a group, a research group of which they're a part of. Okay. It's the firefighter cancer support network support network. Yeah. Firefighter cancer support network. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the Alliance is a number of organizations, the IFF, the IFC, uh, all the above, uh, who have their folks involved in, in, in focusing on this uh, on a national uh, uh, level, a North it. American level. Yeah. Well, I want to make sure I get that out in the uh, yeah. in the narrative when yeah. we put this out. So Absolutely. super important. Well, brother, thank you. I want to I want to start wrapping up a little bit here. It's been a great hour. I mean, just an absolutely fun hour. I think you and I could probably do this all day. Um, I want to ask you this. What's exciting? Too often we're focusing on the negative of the job right now. We're, we're looking at what's wrong and what needs to be fixed or talked about. What's good? What do you see yeah, right now you, that's, that's good? Easy. Instant answer. So, um, like I said, I'm, I'm not your guy if you've got a high rise, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty decent at single family dwellings and things like that, which is what we do around here. What's good is that I'd say in the last couple of years, when I pull up to a fire, I don't need to do a thing. Um, we've got some highly competent deputy and battalion chiefs in our area. Some with some are half my age, uh, who have studied, who've trained, who've learned. They're aggressive. They love what they do, uh, but they're smart. Uh, and that's my greatest pride. If you came to visit me, I would take you to about four or five departments in my area and introduce you to the folks that are pretty much running the fires, riding the front seat of the rig. Uh, and, and, and that's, what's good. That's what excites me because it's easy to say, Oh, you know, the millennials are a bunch of idiots. Well, so are my generation, you know, every generation, our it. job is every generation. Our job is said the, the newer generation is a bunch of morons. That's right. And, and, and every generation has a group of morons, but I don't know that we're at a better time for how fast we can get water on the fire, how fast we wash that shit off of us, how fast we make grabs. I mean, uh, we, we had a fire a couple of weeks ago. It's probably everything in my life is weeks. It was probably five <laughs> years ago. Right? No, we had a fire a couple months ago. It came in as people trapped. Uh, I was nine minutes from that scene. Uh, when I got there, 
the victim was out. They were working the victim. The fire was knocked and there was a little smoldering going on. And, and it, it, it was such a good feeling because yes. in, there's certainly a part I want to get there when it's a rock and fire. Right. But I stand back and say, Oh my God, look at these guys. And these are kids that weren't even born, you know, uh, when I started yeah, and now they're running circles around us. And because they're listening to what we've shared, they've derived their own opinions. Some of, some of, some of my guys are actually out there doing some teaching and doing some training and stuff. Right. And uh, I'm proud of them. So the, what's good is, is, you know what? There've always been idiots. There've always been knuckleheads. There've always been mutts, but look at the, the good out there. And in my good, it's not just my department. I see it elsewhere. It's the younger ones that are coming up. They're not all useless millennials. Some are very useful and we're in good shape in many, many respects. I love that. And that's a great way to wrap. And uh, Chief, thank you for your time today. This was a lot of fun. And uh, I hope we get to do it again soon. There's so many rabbit holes I think we could go down, uh, and including our love for Mars lights as well. I didn't even get a chance to get there. <laughs> But, uh, you know, you and I, I think I do have to make my oh way my out to Ohio because I do want to see this garage collection that I've, that I've heard about. But <laughs> you're, uh, very, you're very welcome. I do want to add one thing. You talked please. about did I have any family in the fire service? Yeah. Not above me, but uh, my son is a uh, career firefighter in Maryland. Nice. Uh, he's a lieutenant. And um, I've got uh, two kids in retail, and I've got two kids who are professional school teachers. I love that. So, and my sixth grandkids. So that's my uh, that's my gang. Well, that's fantastic, and I know how important family is to you. And like I said earlier, that I think your favorite title is family man, and uh, you know, and that, and especially going not family guy. No, yes. not family guy. <laughs> Giggity. No, 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 no. Family all man. Right. Well, all right. <laughs> Well, listen, Chief, thank you very, thank you. very much. Please stay right sure. here. I'm going to sign off the podcast, and then we're going to chat off air for a minute. So sure, I uh, appreciate you, and thank you for your time. And thanks today. for what you're doing, uh, helping spread the word and uh, getting all these interviews out there. Hell yeah, There's man. There's a lot of great people. There's a lot of people to learn from. Well, I appreciate that. That means the world coming from you. So thank you so much for that. So, everyone, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Take this episode, listen, digest it, and then go share it. Share, like, follow. We appreciate all the support. And when you get to the firehouse tonight and you're breaking bread with your brothers and sisters, talk about the job because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. We'll see you at the next one. Thanks for tuning in. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.